Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host, as always, Robbie Burke, and we are brought to you by upmentorship.com, one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. This episode's guest, we have James Smith from Global Sports Concepts back on with me for his monthly interview on the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. On our previous episode, on episode 130, James discussed the topic of critical thinking and its importance when consuming information and formulating logical and rational conclusions. On this episode, James now discusses how we can potentially develop our critical thinking skills. So essentially, our previous episode was the why, this episode is more of the how. Guys, this was another amazing episode with James, and I hope you really, really enjoy it. James Smith, absolute pleasure to have you on again, sir, our monthly call, our monthly podcast. So this episode, um, well, actually, before I even get into our topic, first of all, how are you doing? What's what's up? What's new? Good to speak with you again, Robbie. I am well, and I continue to pursue various consulting endeavors, none of which have manifest in their entirety yet. However, the processes are going well. Great stuff. Great stuff. Okay, so last one's podcast, we spoke about the importance of critical thinking. Um, And at the end of that podcast, we kind of touched on what we were going to talk about in this one's podcast, which was how to develop our critical thinking skills. So we'll definitely get into that. But there was a question from a listener um, and I sent it over to you beforehand so you get a bit of a uh, uh, a read on it because it was quite a long comment. Um, and then from there, you can kind of like uh, go through each part of it and kind of break it down and, and, and give a reply to each part. But I'll, I'll address it. I'll just say it here for the listeners. It's a little bit long, but I'll, I'll try and uh, do the justice to that. So it's from um, John McManus, who's a friend of mine. Uh, and it said, in regards to our last podcast, that is, uh, I have to disagree with James in terms of what extraordinary individuals do to render their popularity on the enormous scales. I think he's referring to when we were speaking about uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson and Lady Gaga, maybe was it? Uh, his belief that it revolves around accessibility doesn't ring right to me. I'd say it is more that those individuals realize their purpose, gain an awareness of mental self, and execute at that level that they accept as theirs in terms of audience size and impact and that they grew to understand the value of the power of experience in that particular process. I would characterize it as evolving from the book Mastery to the book The 48 Laws of Power. I don't know if you've read those, James. Applying critical thinking in this regard, I would say, draws from EQ and IQ. The process... Are you shaking your head there? The process design uh, and execution happens as a consequence of emotional self-assurance and belief. Note... Part of that evolution is accepting ego by using personal parameters, thus ruling its existence as negligible to personal biases, in my highest opinion. So, I'm almost finished here. Uh, two, what are the variables of thinking? They are no different to those involved in lifting heavy weights. Can everyone lift? Sure. What are the variables in coaching people to think critically? They are no different than training principles. Should everyone teach the process rather than learn to think? Sure. Three, great episode, my man. Keep up the great work. So three you can disregard there. <laughs> but so basically that that was that was John's comment. Um, so if you have any thoughts on that before we get into today, the floor is yours. 
what we have to begin with in order to form a platform for reasoning intelligibly is definitions, such as the consistency with the lecture I provided, I suppose it's about four years ago now, thermodynamics as an edifice of sport training in which I was offering some quotations from a professor at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology who is providing free lecture series on thermodynamics in which he explained how understanding just the definitions of the subject matter would get everyone about halfway there in terms of understanding the subject matter as a whole. Critical thinking. We'll, we'll utilize Oxford Dictionary as our reference point here. The, the first definition of critical thinking is the objective analysis and evaluation of an issue in order to form a judgment. Thus, if we unpack the definition, what we must further define is what it means to be objective, to analyze, to evaluate, and to judge. Objective, not influenced by personal feelings or opinions in considering and representing facts. So off the bat, we begin to refute what the comment was from your associate who gives credence to emotional understanding, interpretation, etc., and that in order to be objective, we are eliminating presupposition, bias, prejudice, personal feelings, and by association, any implicit emotional association. An analysis, detailed examination of the elements or structure of something, evaluation, the making of a judgment about the amount, number, or value of something, an assessment, and judgment, the ability to make considered decisions or come to sensible conclusions. Now, I don't think, I, I do not think it is uncontroversial at all to state that nearly anyone has very little reservations about making a judgment. It's that the evidence for that it comes in mass by, by way of any comment section on social media. However, what I would criticize is the capacity to commit to remaining objective and to perform a competent analysis. And, it, and at the and at the end here, let us accept the definition for thinking which is the process of considering or reasoning about something. So the depth of complexity of that process could in no way at face value be compared to lifting weights, such as what your associate claims, because the capacity to think or reason has no correlation to be able to lift even phenomenal amount of weights. It's simply the prerequisites associated that may be derived from that objective. Thus, what we have to be willing to have an honest dialogue about is that, uh, first off, <clears throat> and, and I'll, I'll make a few more comments regarding the, 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 the criticism that, that you read to me, and then, and then we'll move on. Feed, feedback, feedback. Well, no, criticism is important, yeah. and and I and uh, it, and it, and it's a thoughtful it's a thoughtful criticism. So that this is good, but it, it's it's important 
to unpack in order to reach a final conclusion, which is you know what I'm what I'm what I'm doing here on my end. I think that it's also uncontroversial to state that it's giving way too much credit to certain individuals who have achieved global popularity to assume that they are in possession of high levels of self-awareness, the explanatory depth of the foundations of their success, their uh, understanding of their their self-value in the process. And again, I will disagree on the basis of the definitions of the substrates of critical thinking regarding the emphasis that the listener placed on emotional quotient. For example, Robbie, the the, the current, the, the best of our current knowledge describes intelligence not merely on the basis of intelligence quotient, but a three-pillared approach. This comes from Cambridge Brain Sciences, in which case intelligence, the the consensus current report on intelligence is summarized by way of three categories, short-term memory, reasoning ability, and verbal skills. It is the three of those combined that form the composite of intelligence that is best understood. Say say those those three again, sorry. Short-term memory, reasoning ability, and verbal skills. So as you know, as I was mentioning to you offline, I'm highly critical of the absence of verbal skills in many incredibly well-respected and popular figures in the public domain. And it is astonishing to me why the masses are not more cognizant of this variable of intelligence and ultimately in a position to demand a higher level of that ability, a higher level of verbal skills in order for someone to possess consensus agreed competence. I Yeah, but it's an unawareness though. People people aren't aware of that. Well this is what is fascinating to me, Robbie, because I would associate speech pattern disfluency and, and what what I mean by that, a speech pattern disfluency is what we hear in common discourse, the misappropriate uses of the, of the word like, the, the use of the, I don't even know that we can consider them words, I've not looked them up in the dictionary, um, um, uh, a, a speech pattern disfluency, a rendering of a sound that interrupts a fluid projection of dialogue. Now, let us think of the analogy. As as much as I adhere to first principles, sometimes it's just irresistible for me to use an analogy because of the entertainment value. So what fascinates me is that it presumably goes unnoticed and certainly it does not elicit a significant enough response from a listening audience to demand greater competency 
for someone's speech pattern to be riddled with disfluencies, which is to say, if I offer a rendering now of that which I would criticize most strongly as an, as an, as an example, so if I quote, give you a stream, um, Robbie, um, I'm thinking of the right thing to say, uh, not sure what comes next, and like, I thought of this, and like, Robbie, you wouldn't believe what so-and-so said, and um, not really sure what I should say next, unquote. The fact that that type of speech pattern disfluency, which no matter how much of a dramatization I offer just now in making my point, is actually utterly commonplace in the public domain. It's fascinating to me why this is seemingly nominal in terms of its effect on the broader masses, because if by analogy we were to say, what would be the equivalent of this in music? Well, the equivalent in music would be an inaccurate rendering of tonal quality or a, some jargon that exists in the musical domain is called a flam, F-L-A-M, a flam, which, which is essentially a mistake made in articulating a note. So for parochial reasons, what we, what we could say is uh, what then would be the reaction if the next superstar who's singing the, the national anthem at, say, an American football game at the professional level, which are highly televised events, etc., if they, when rendering the national anthem, every third note was flat or sharp, it's immediately, first of all, that would just be unacceptable in terms of a performance, and it would be immediately recognizable and yield much more than some type of nominal reaction from the listening audience. Alternatively, we can listen to politicians and business executives and sports professionals and military leaders, etc., in front of a microphone whose speech pattern is riddled with the aforementioned disfluencies like um and ah, and these continue forward. And this fascinates me that there is not enough individuals in the immediate networks of these in, of these people of high popularity and influence who don't on the onset of these aberrations of verbal renderings go to this person and say, look, we have something for you to work on. I want you to pay attention to the words that you're using and let us rid you of these disfluencies. This is something that I've done myself in the past with individuals who I have worked with and it's amazing to me that it is not done on levels in which the, the administration of dialogue is being given by people who are televised of the, at the national and international levels, let alone in some isolated sport discussion format. So the verbal skills, again, are one of those three pillars in terms of the current understanding of intelligence. So uh, forget about my uh, personal opinion on the matter. We now have a consensus agreement on one of the pillars of intelligence, which 
irrefutably are linked to the capacity to think critically. So mm -hmm. if we now if we now redirect back towards the procedure, which is, you know, I I tend to stay away from because I I hasten to offer any type of generalized how to because of the necessity for people to individualize processes of learning that most well suit their disposition and in existing knowledge and capacities, etc. However, if we go back to the definitions, it is my thinking that the very definitions of the terminologies that together form the parent definition of critical thinking provide the how-to. Now, now let us let us provide a, a couple more definitions. Why? Let us distinguish why from how. And as you know, I commit myself much more to why than how, because by definition, why is a product of reason, whereas how is a product of means. And it is by understanding the, the definitions of these words that renders a corresponding understanding of the reason why concerning the masses, there is much more demand and interest and commodity value placed upon how, not why. Well, that's, which is that's to, the whole tenet of Simon Sinek's book. <clears throat> Indeed. Well, I have not read the book, however, that stands to reason. So I'll start with why. You don't really have to read the right. That's it. You don't have to read the book. He's just like, everyone needs to know their why before their how. And, and again, why is reason? How is means? means. Yeah. Now, now, having said that, we are going to speak to some extent about the means here. However, we must, in my judgment, do that in such a way that does not pigeonhole the process and instead renders it open-ended and mutable so that any listener can assimilate it most appropriately and shape it for their own. And that, again, is based upon having a deep understanding of the definitions of the concept of critical thinking. So commitment to objectivity is the commitment to suppress any preconception, any pre-existing bias. But is that, pos is that possible for a human? Ab absolutely. And it is the reason why certain professions are not achievable without the commitment of the practitioners to remain objective. For example, and, and I underlined the commitment because what, what may have been misunderstood in previous discussions of ours when I reference the, the context of emotional management is that we're distinguishing the difference between the removal of emotion 
from the management of emotion. Mm. So, so my what I suspect is by, by you questioning me, is that even possible in your mind? There's some bells and whistles that are going off that suggest a removal of emotion. Okay. And that's why that's why it's not adding up in your mind. Whereas what I'm saying is a management. Yeah. Yeah. That well, that, and, that that clears up that one. So it's just... yeah. And the in the effective management of emotion for all intents and purposes in the practical setting may very well render from an observational standpoint the absence of emotion. However, the, there's a difference, there's a distinction to be made there in that each individual actor who is a master of self-regulation and emotional control is barring a high component of sociopathic existence or psychopathic existence, barring those exceptions, simply a product of management. And thus, let's take psychotherapy as an example. But just for you, can, can that be trained? Because what, what that reminds me of now is the astronauts, where they spoke with the astronauts have trained for so, such situations so many times over and over again that when they ran into trouble actually in space, they didn't panic because... It had been so ingrained, it was like a neural pathway. And that was just one follow-up question I wanted to ask with, with John, the listener. When, when he, I think what he meant by, can, can you get someone stronger by doing strength training? So can you not make someone think critically by, by, by training them to think more critically? Like, would that not be the concept of neuroplasticity? Like, you, you can change your brain. Like, you, like you can train yourself to be, to, to be able to enhance your level of critical thinking like true neuroplasticity. Would that not be correct? That is correct in that the process of neuroplasticity describes the mutability of the various cortical and subcortical regions of the brain. The I, product I, I, of, I think that's I, – I, I could be wrong, but I think that was what he was trying to, to say or I think that was the analogy he was trying to use. Well, perhaps that is true and this, this would lead towards sometimes the – the fallibility of the written word and any aspects of intended communication that might be missed, and which is why ultimately there's no substitute for a dialogue such as this one in terms of ultimate clarity. So if that, if 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 in case that's what was intended, I agree with that. In specifically in terms of the neuroplastic changes that exist and thereby the functional adjustment of these different cortical brain centers r render behavioral modification. This is completely uncontroversial in the literature. We have the subcortical regions of the brain, the hypothalamal pituitary adrenal axis as the principal one regarding psychological stress regulation, uh -huh. and the linkage of these subcortical regions to the prefrontal cortex which is responsible for higher executive level function and therefore suggestive of the reality which has been well established in the research in terms of the efficacy of cognitive behavioral therapy and various psychotherapeutic approaches of the deepening of understanding of related subject matter and how the very net result of the deepened understanding renders the neuroplastic changes of which the result is the, the modification of behavior. This is the reason why any successful therapeutic, psychotherapeutic 
non-pharmacological, so non-pharmacological psychotherapeutic intervention, what it results in by way of evidentiary confirmation is any dialogue you have with someone who is a product of successful psychotherapy renders to that observer that the individual who underwent the process, the, the, the biggest difference that they were able to demonstrate to some observer, a, apart from gross behavior, is that they have a deeper understanding of, for example, the trauma or traumas that elicited the reason for the lack of emotional control, the predisposition to anxiety, depression, what have you. So understanding being the underlying mechanism, yeah. which, by, which, by the way, is a reason, uncontroversial, I'm sure, that it is for me to state for absolutely every human to have some level compulsory of psychology because psychotherapy is nothing more than teaching. And it just so happens to be that the subject matter that is taught and, the, and ultimately assimilated by each client is without question fundamentally important for every human. Yet I digress. We've gone from objective, which is committing to the absence of bias, preconception, presupposition, prejudice, emotional influence. This is what we do not want to allow affect our consideration or representation of facts. Yeah. No, there's no, there's no argument there. These are accepted definitions, but it's important to understand them in order to have a more decisive means of putting this into practice. Analysis, I think, is a bit more obvious in terms of a detailed examination of the elements or structure of something. However, we have to understand the ability to do so, the, the capacity to perform a detailed examination is clearly dependent upon the requisites of doing so. Therefore, the, the, the knowledge associated with whatever the particular subject matter domains is. Evaluation is, corresponds to analysis, the making of a judgment about the amount, number, or value of something. And as I indicated to, to begin with, while this comes so easily to individuals regardless of knowledge, because namely the bulk of evaluations that we see rendered in the public domain, which is to say the bulk of judgments offered are, in, in, in my opinion, absent of the other substrates of critical thinking. And the same is to be said about judgment itself, which is the, which is the last of the words that deserve to be defined in terms of the, the definition of critical thinking, in terms of the ability to make considered decisions or come to sensible conclusions. What we see here is that each one of them offers an offshoot from which to have comprehensive dialogue. Ultimately, however, the procedure of how to enhance critical thinking skills undoubtedly 
begins with understanding the definition of critical thinking and, as I have offered here, the definitions of each of the terms that together comprise the composite of critical thinking. So we have objectivity analysis, evaluation, and judgment. So going going off these, like I suppose the next question I think that most people would have is how to refine each one of those four areas. And I, I know you, I know you touched on objectivity in terms of control of emotion, but I suppose analysis, because I think what analysis is. Me and you could could analyze the same information and come to different conclusions again based off how we currently perceive reality, and that's kind of maybe why I'm, I'm getting at. Maybe that was part of my question too about can we truly be objective? Because even maybe subconsciously we think we are controlling emotions, but even at a subconscious level there probably is some biases there that are making us perceive reality and how we perceive it. And again, going back now to analysis, that's why I could look at the same data set as you and come to a different conclusion. And what, what that brings us towards, Robbie, is, again, knowledge. So the, bro the broader the spectrum of knowledge of what is factually understood and, by proxy, and by extension, the, com the commitment to what is understood, for example, regarding epistemological foundations, which thereby offers the ability of one who has this understanding to offer conjectures which are the only way that new knowledge is created that are still steeped in rational explanation. Mm. I do not think it's controversial what, what you are saying in terms of the difficulty one may have in divorcing themselves, no, including how conscious they are of yeah. pre-existing bias biases, for example, towards various subject matter domains. However, it is the commitment that is the point in question. Okay. The, 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 the commitment to suppress these, the commitment to suppress them in the offering of conjecture or dialogue and the commitment to sustaining this throughout the course of the dialogue in order that reasoning in the exchange of ideas may be conducted at the the highest possible level void of the interference of emotion bias presupposition prejudice etc do you think that from an evolutionary standpoint, this is this is really what evolution has in store for us. Because again, just going off the structure of the brain and looking at like sort of neurophysiology, we've gone from that reptilian action-reaction brain to then building this emotional limbic system, to then building this kind of rational cortex, and then our frontal lobes, where that really allows us to really be sort of. Uh, like almost extra rational, if you like, but, you know, to invent things and imagine and to really get into deep states of thought. Like, so, is it in your mind, too, that, like, it's 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 almost, it, it's that it's that linear, uh, I know nothing's linear in nature, it's all non-linear, really, but it's been that sort of projection to evolution that we've gone for these higher, higher realms of intelligence, 
and that essentially these higher levels of thinking is really where evolution wants us to go as a species. I don't even... Th I'm, I'm going to be repeating words here. I, I don't think we need to use the word think, Robbie. What you've just done is offered a proof. Okay. In, in that the evolutionary trend has been greater and greater and greater capacity to reason. Just a little offshoot of that, and I hope this doesn't like drag us off course, but what do you feel then is the physical need for our body then to facilitate the brain in that process? Does that question make sense? So like, so, so like, like basically our body is at the, is at the, the, the service of our brain. And, and so if evolution is bringing us towards higher levels of thinking and transcendence in terms of our abilities to think at just higher levels of consciousness and, and basically to transcend thought and to really get to, to, again, higher levels of thinking, why do you think our physical body's role is in that is what I'm trying to ask. Like, why do you think it is important then to have a physical body associated with a brain, if this brain, if if you know, if this brain wants to reach a higher level of transcendence, if we postulate on the trajectory of the statement you just made, then then one could argue that in you know tens of thousands of years, whatever it might amount to, that we might evolve to the state in which our physical bodies become neg negligible mm, with respect mm. to, to practical value. Because by then, the advent of artificial intelligence and our ability to more effectively manipulate physical transfer and informations that are still well within it's exactly, the... Exactly where my thought process was going. So, like, sorry to put it, it's just because it's in my head now. I'm just sorry to put it across. I don't mean to do that. Uh, particularly when you're talking, because you, you get into such, you know, like, states of thought as well. But the reason why I kind of, because the thought in my mind, maybe it's from reading Sapiens, is that... Our bodies till now were needed to take in and soak in as much environmental information as possible. But it'll probably get to a stage where, as you said, it'll be negligible. And we'll probably get to a stage, because in the book, Sapiens, we'll probably get to a stage where we can download our consciousness to, like, a computer. And we can infer, we can further keep growing our, our consciousness and levels of thinking. Like, he's, like again, well, it's a bit, you know, it's a bit sci-fi, but... Well, in, in some ways we're already there to the extent that the way technology and its exponential rate of progress has, in a sense, immobilized many aspects of modern society to the extent that it is actually achievable to live a large percentage of life void of the actual physical movement that was a necessity in decades and centuries past, which is to say that in, in certain modernized societies, one can sit and function behind a, a computer screen or a, a cell phone and order products and goods and services without having to physically go to a storefront of some type. Groceries can be delivered Household goods can be delivered all by way of electronic ordering and the mail system. And one can see how it is actually achievable for someone in the right type of profession to do very little physical motion that requires much of all of their body because already computers and cell phones have technology that, that allows 
software to transform voice commands into text. So now I don't even need to use my hands to operate a keyboard or a virtual keyboard. So in, in, in some sense, there, there is many ways in which currently technology has allowed the, the transcendence of, for instance, the, the mind to operate in the absence of the physical body in terms of accomplishing a vast majority of, of tasks. And so I don't think it's a reach at all to postulate what some distant future might be in, wh in which quite literally it's some version of the imagination in which the, the body is just of no use at all relative yeah. to what is achievable by way of the mind. Well, I, I don't. I, 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 there's, there's two kind of thoughts on the headness. They're, they're both divergent to either end of the spectrum. And I, I suppose I would have a bias towards one end, like I, and I'm aware of the bias, is that I, I suppose my bias would always be I, I, I don't think you could have optimal, op, optimal, optimal, am I saying that right? Optimal mental function and capacity if you also don't have that physically. And I guess it's because, you know, so far in my life, I have such a affinity to physically engage my body on a daily basis. And it's probably such a belief of mine that I, I feel that, you know, mental, physical, and spiritual health are all encompassing and, and they're all one. But someone could easily just turn around to me and just say Stephen Hawkins. Precisely correct. And, and, and that, 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 would throw, that would throw like a, a monkey a monkey in the wrench. Just before you answer that question, um, to just so so we stay a little bit on track. I do want to continue on with those with the objectivity analysis, evaluation, and judgment. I think if we get those in in the next twenty five minutes, that would be very good for this podcast. And then another, just a final thing I'd like to get your thought on is Jock Fresco from the Venus Project, who was a futurist and an inventor. He said a very interesting thing, which I think I'd like you to allude on to, is he felt that all languages were redundant, and he said the way we should communicate is through maths because it's universal. So it, just going off what you were saying about like this about verbal communication, he's like, there's no like, there's no like yes no or like there's no like guessing. He's like yes or no maths. He's like if you're if you were uh, um, if you were uh, oh someone someone sent me there uh, something on Skype. If you were a mechanical engineer in China and you're a mechanical engineer in England or France, he's like you'd all still you'd all know what you were talking about, your maths. So he was like it was a better way of communicating. But anyway, just going back to Stephen Hawking. Well, I, I, and I, 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 what you mentioned, this individual speak about, I wrote about in the governing dynamics. I wrote the exact same thing Perfect. in that it's for centuries mathematics has been recognized as a universal language. As to the extent in which it would replace any verbal communication apart from the symbolic value and the underlying understanding of yeah. the definitions. I'm not sure that that is plausible given, given the disparity that exists be between the two. What seems to be on face value more plausible to me is that a universal language would lie in the future that still exists of verbal skills apart from mathematical symbolic representation, which would satisfy the criticism of the individual you mentioned that I agree with in terms of the, the rather the rather parochial existence of all these different languages of humans seems to be that the natural evolution would be continually pointing towards a unification, but I'm not sure that it would result in a mathematical one mm. 
to the exclusion of what is possible via the, via the complexity of dialogue apart from symbols, etc. Yeah, yeah. The the Hawking example and, and anyone else that is suffering from some form of paralysis that constrains human movement is all the explanation necessary to refute your posit, Robbie. So let's parse that. There's no question that the the life experience is potentially enriched by the means in which our body is capable of interacting with the environment yeah. around us. That doesn't seem to me that there's anything controversial about saying that. However, to assume that that is the only mode of enrichment is naive because by necessity the neuroplastic changes of the brain that would be an evolutionary requirement of those who are restricted to interact with the, the environment manually would necessarily be more profound due to the, the fact that their ability to perceive the world around them is restrained to a set of conditions that do not include these physical inter these tactile interactions with respect to the influence of the environment with the limbs, the appendages, and so on. Mm, so mm. I think in 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 some ways it's probably intuitive to understand that up, apart from genetic and epigenetic influences that affect the we'll we'll just we'll just summarize it as intelligence. So up, apart from what is passed on from progenitors, we can see in some ways the, the advantage provided to someone who simply only has one means of interacting with the environment, and that is cerebrally minus the, the tactile benefits of interacting with the appendages and so on. And so just as in any other domain, someone who is constrained for whatever set of reasons to a more isolated mode of operation tends to develop a more exceptional mode of operating in that domain yeah. due to the concentrated nature of what is capable for them to achieve. It, it's, it's almost analogous to something I was just speaking about there today on the strengthcoach.com form, but it's what Fergus Connolly mentions in Game Changers' book, like with an athlete. So he says with strength coaches, we, we are so over-obsessed with the physical development, but he's like, you get these athletes who aren't physically well-developed in terms of, like, they're not the greatest athlete on the team, but yet they're the best player. And he says, the reason why they're the best player is because if you look at, like, the technical, tactical, and psychological aspects, they're probably off the charts in the, in one of those domains that compensates for their adequate physical capabilities. Um, so, you know, so, like, they, they, they're, so they have this compensation mechanism. Like, they have adequate physical abilities, but they're not the best athlete, and then, we think, oh, if we make them a better athlete, they'll be better. He's like, no, they're already world-class because they're already great in these other domains. We just need to make sure that they're proficient in, in, in every domain. They don't have to be world-class in every bit, so they compensate for it in the way that you're saying that somebody who might be re re refrained, you know, in a, in a chair or frame from movement kind of compensate maybe through some more cerebral intelligence. But one thing I will say about Stephen Hawkins, and, and, I, think it's, I, and I think it's a reason why we do have a bias towards movement being very, very important for, for brain health 
is because I suppose how we develop as babies. And Hawkins was a fully functional adult until his early twenties. So, you know, there there definitely is something with movement and brain development. We know from neurodevelopmental kinesiology. Like if if you're born into a world like that from a baby, it'd be interesting to see could you could you compensate um, you know cerebrally or or in, in a brain way. Well, I think. I think certainly there is a there is a platform for extended dialogue in that particular yes. subject matter domain. Yes, yes, sir. Without question. As to the critical thinking means. Yeah. So we've gone through objectivity. Objectivity and how what that begins with, as all of this does, is a commitment. Commitment to doing so. So regardless of any preconceptions that an individual has, biases, it's the commitment to set those aside in favor of achieving what is achievable yeah. by way of the the apex of critical thinking. I, I suppose, and I, I hope I'm not going in circles here, because in your mind, if you're like, I've answered this, and you're not understanding is that I, I, I fu- I'm fully aware of, of the point, or at least I think I'm, that you're trying to get across there in terms of the commitment. But I suppose my question is there that we often have subconscious biases that we're not aware of. So I could be like, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm being fully objective. I know now I have to put across my preconceived notions. It's like, but how, how can we dig up something that's subconscious when it's subconscious in terms of uh, our biases? By way of engaging in the important discussions okay. because they will they will inevitably they will inevitably manifest Pets. themselves okay. head, yeah. in, in in the in the company of knowledgeable individuals okay okay that's good yeah so we begin with understanding the definitions followed with the commitment to adhering to the process and we see how each one of them, in and of itself, as far as I'm concerned, explains the how to. For example, if we move on to analysis, as you said, sure, we, 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 we can line up a hundred people and present to them the data of some physics experiment. And sure, everyone can analyze the data. The question is, to what extent? And the answer to what extent and how credibly, how viably, how honestly, etc., that can be achieved is based upon their knowledge. Mm. So what we're not going to be able to get away from epistemology, the theory of knowledge and how is it how it is attained, and this brings us to the role of explanation and how we part of the biases that I'm certain people will have to shed consciously or not is the acceptance of empiricism we we must address this fact because of the way that its eventualities pervade so many facets of modern society just what, what, so, what, what do you mean by empiricism? Explain that. Define that for me. I must give credit to physicist David Deutsch and philosopher Karl Popper and others who have elaborated much more comprehensively than we will get done in the next 15 minutes on the podcast on the subject matter. Empiricism was the scientific movement 
of the late 17th, 18th centuries, which it, in its intentions was right, but in its actual methods was completely false to refute the pre-existing doctrine that, that essentially came from the church, in which case religion served as the authority by way of draconian edict, yeah. and there eventually was this initiative to refute this in terms of that there must be a better way, there, there must be a better reason for someone to listen to someone else and believe that they know what they're talking about. However, the way that empiricism went about with was completely false because what they aimed to show was the concept of, of scientific authority, which, which in and of itself is a conundrum, just as the word experiential authority, which derives from the empiricist movement, is completely fallacious. There's no such thing. Yeah, yeah. Be because knowledge does not come by way of the sense impression. This is what empiricism yeah. sought to establish, was that he or she who has done more scientific experiment has observed more, and as a result of observed more by experimenting more, has more knowledge. Yeah, which is false. Which is completely false, yeah. because there is only one way, only one way to create new knowledge, and that is by way of conjecture, which is an incomplete idea, which then must be criticized and hold up to the methods of error correction and testing, etc., and at the end of which, if it's still standing, ultimately amounts to new um, knowledge. Relativity, Einstein. So this is, the, this is very important to understand because an example of an unconscious implicit bias that probably exists in most people is the notion that experience means something in terms of knowledge. And it is only when one has a deepened understanding and the ability to distinguish experience from knowledge because what, what I'm not doing here is refuting the value of experience, but I am making a point to distinguish between how experience exists and how knowledge is created, yeah. and knowledge can only be created by way of conjecture and criticism. Yeah. There is no other achievable way. And I've expounded upon this at length in previous, I thought we've addressed it in previous discussions. No, so, no, we did, yeah, and, yeah, we did. And, and certainly elsewhere that I have. So this, so this has to be understood and I'm not, this will be one of the major first steps for people to advance their critical thinking capacities because of the underlying foundations of knowledge, how they pervade every possible assimilation of these various definitions. So we're on analysis now in the degree to which we can analyze something objectively depends upon our commitment to objectivity and our knowledge as it exists at that point, yeah. which can only be created on the basis of conjecture. Now, clearly we can all become more knowledgeable by way of experience. And, but what we're, what we're distinguishing from is the difference between acquiring knowledge and creating knowledge. Yeah. Very big difference. Because, you know, you, you, you can tell me something that I do not already know just by way of you sharing that information with me. 
which has nothing to do with a conjecture or a criticism, but that's much different than you or I creating new knowledge that no one else in the history of the world has ever known. So just, a very just, big... just on that, it's um, the question of wit knowledge, is obviously then there's already what's known, but then between one individual to another, what you're alluding to there is, you could obviously know more of the, of what's already, of the knowledge that's already known than, than another individual, and surely then that would differentiate both your critical thinking skills. Precisely. And that's one of the main foundations of the governing dynamics of, of coaching is mitigating the difference between what is knowable and what is known. That This simply gets you caught up. Creating something new requires conjectures beyond the knowable. And the degree into which they are rational is represented by their explanatory depth. If we move on, evaluation and judgment are quite similar, although I chose to define them just because they're part of the parent definition of critical thinking in terms of making the judgment and the ability to, to do so based upon the considered decisions. And again, the definition of, of judgment, considered decisions are come to sensible conclusions. So we see the interrelationship between the definitions and how even even conceptually, sh- short of the practical instantiation of this, the, the fundamental requirement to understand the, 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 the very definitions of each one of these and the relationships shared between them and how at the bedrock of all this, we, it is inescapable to recognize epistemology and how knowledge and the theory of it underlies the whole process. The degree to which the procedure must be parochialized in terms of spelled out, uh, how, you know, do this first, do this second. Again, I, I don't see the value in that with respect to how this process of advancing critical thinking may be assimilated at the highest level for any person listening to this conversation that we're happening, having. What, what I would argue for is how any, any listener who takes interest in advancing their critical thinking skills clearly must take their understanding of the definitions and then divide the procedure that most well suits their particular disposition. And in a nutshell, that's essentially how I would describe any educational process. Of course, as different as that is by way of most listeners' educational experience. I suppose then the question is learning how to learn. Um, what are the dispositions so far that have been acknowledged as how we as humans learn? Are you talking about visual, auditory? Is that what you mean by disposition? So we have we have uh, we, we have a few different realms in which to discuss the behavioral disposition, dispositions, choleric, phlegmatic, etc. The rates of 
learning, rather, not the rates, the typology of learning, which you just referenced, which, by the way, all of this is explained in the Governing Dynamics of Coaching. Which is, which is available on Amazon. And Vervante. I, we should, I should note, by the way, that me, the, my publisher is Vervante, and the way that it is distributed through Amazon is only available through third-party sellers. And I know that some individuals have emailed me asking about the price. Because it's only available through third-party sellers, Vervante is is my publisher, no other sellers, because some other sellers have really cranked up the price to double and triple, and Vervante is the only seller, and it can be purchased directly through Vervante. Oh, that's great. The, the different types of learners, as you mentioned, auditory, kinesthetic, visual, and beyond that, we have to look at the intricacies of each individual and simply what resonates with them most strongly in terms of learning new subject matter. Because what we're talking about here is academic in that we the, the deepening of understanding of these subject matter domains is in no way directly linked to some physical animation of the human body. Thus, the, the kinesthetic aspect of learning becomes reduced down further because what we're talking about is is essentially purely academic. And, of course, we can instantiate the application of critical thinking to some physical motion, in which case somebody could represent some action as a mode of teaching physically. However, it is my argument, again, I'll come back to the, 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 the subtleties of learning in, in the case of we provide a definition to someone, we give a few examples of how it's used in different contexts, and then we ask each individual, tell me how you think about that. Talk to me about what it means to you. Use it in a sentence. Give me an example. Yeah. Show me that you understand. And it is, it is those subtleties which in my judgment, unarguably reflect the value of learning that each person can experience. And the more those subtleties of each individual are integrated into the actual process of learning, the the more profound the learning experience becomes for each individual. And and then that's ultimately the objective here is that any listener is deriving as much as possible from the subject matter being discussed in such a way that it can be assimilated at the highest level person by person. And I'm not, I'm not aware of a, a given procedure, formal academic institution or otherwise, that achieves this in such a way that wholesale benefits every individual equally. Yeah. Yeah. Be- because you simply you have to individualize. There's no way around it. Yeah, I mean uh, that's when when you were more sort of in the depths of dispensing information on physical preparation. Not not that you still don't, but I remember that was always one thing you were ta- you would touch on in terms of physical preparation. In terms of it just has to be individualized because because <laughs> there was such a such a variability from one from one individual to the next, and it's no different than in the learning. Just a, a little. Add on before we finish up, 
in, in terms of we said auditory, we, we said visual, we said kinesthetic, and, and we feel maybe that kinesthetic would be the, the lowest on that hierarchy, on, on a hierarchical order there. But just one concept I want to bring to this is something that Paul Check talks about in the difference between education, I suppose if you want to maybe replace that with what we're talking about in the accumulation of knowledge, and then that versus experience. So he calls it education versus experience where you could read about something and study about something indefinitely from you know maybe a visual and auditorial standpoint and even a written standpoint when you're kind of coming to your own critical thoughts on it. But he, he still feels that a massive part of acquiring knowledge is to experience what you're writing about. So he, you know, an example would be you could go off and research everything there is to know about a vegan diet, but he's like, you've never lived on it and experienced the sensations of it. You really haven't mastered that knowledge. What, what would your thoughts be on maybe that? Well, I, I'm, you know, I've, I've heard his name, but I'm, I'm not familiar with what he speaks about. So based solely upon what you just said there, Rob Lee, that's a very parochial understanding of the subject matter. First off, the specific context must be, be described because those are very, that's very ambiguous terminology that's being used, that, you know, simply distinguishing somebody reading about something, somebody doing something, and, and attempting to form a, an intelligent statement based upon those ambiguities does not make sense to me. We have to be very specific. So an example of that is in what way are we quantifying knowledge? Yeah. Which, which is to say the extent to which someone is able to amass knowledge completely academically, theoretically void of the experience, how are we squaring that against someone who, for the sake of example, has none of that academic theoretic knowledge theoretical knowledge, yet has a great deal of experience. Yeah, now, I suppose what he's saying is you need both. That's kind of what he's saying. To get, the, to get, a, uh, to, to get a holistic package. So he, again, he, again, again the, one, one must have to say, well, that depends okay. on, on the very specifics of the intended objective. Yeah, For yeah. example, there's, as I have written about and spoken about, there's enormous populations of people who have extended experience in a variety of different subject matter domains whose knowledge is in no way correspondent to the years, yeah. if, we were to, if we were to quantify this in terms of time, of their experience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you speak about that. that. That's the difference between mastery and experience or expert experience. Just because someone has experience doesn't mean that they're an expert or a master in their craft. Precisely. So, so it's all... It, it all comes down to the the context, the specific context, in terms of whether that's practically applied or not. Regarding what the context is, P people have to be careful in ambiguous statements because, as we discussed offline and to some extent here, the The attractiveness of the how-to versus the underlying reasons that appeals to masses in general due to what evidence suggests is a, a general resistance to think critically yeah. about subject matter domain that does not directly relate to someone's direct interests or profession makes it that much more 
of a volatile situation for people who are in a position to influence others in rendering ambiguous statements because of the possibilities of misunderstanding that emanate from such ambiguity and the result of that misunderstanding is misdirection and misapplication and on and on and on. That was uh, a bad little snippet there and that was excellent but you just summarized it like that. Well, I'm James Smith at your service. <laughs> no, exactly, because it, 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 I think that nicely summarizes what we're seeing an awful lot is that people, yeah, so, like, like again, most people just kind of want to tell me what you do. I don't really care about the why, or I don't care enough about the why, or the why is too hard to figure out and think about that I don't care about the why. And then you kind of touched on there that oftentimes the why is going to have is going to lead you to study what seems to be an unrelated subject that underpins the 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 the, the how of something that you want to know, but you just don't want to go into that space of understanding the why in the field that seems unrelated to the field of the how of what you want to know. Um, and this goes back to Pat Davidson, who when he was studying a lot about the brain, he was like, critical thinking is a threat to your brain. Because it requires so much energy and resources and focus, and he's like, that's it's one of the reasons why people procrastinate, um, and it's, it's why people have these habitual habits of like, you know, we go to do something on our computer and oh, I'll just go on Facebook for a minute, and it's just because again, it's this procrastination and it's also this thing of instant gratification and like neural pathways and reward systems and you know you can get into neurotransmitter rewards systems like dopamine and stuff like that. But it's just funny what you summarize there is probably. Not probably. It it seems to be a very common trend with everyone. Um, I mean, like so to really, really be a top class physical preparation coach, like you need to know. And I'm I'm only coming to this realization lately. Like you need to know like science. You need to know. Well, you need. I'll, I'll do. I'll do you one better, Robbie. To be a top class coach, you recognize the futility in the concept of physical preparation. Let, let, us, let us leave with this, because what, what, I, what I indicated on social media, a, I don't know, a week ago, was a, a summary that I'm going to be offering, which is a mathematical explet, explanation for the futility of the balkanized divisions of coaching. Ooh. And if one, if one simply understands mathematical derivatives, and, and I'll, I'll explain this more thoroughly in some type of presentation, one sees how it's completely illogical that the actual division of physical preparation ever emerged. Yeah, yeah, be yeah. Because in the context of how I'll explain it mathematically, in terms of the way some basic polynomial derivatives may be taken of it, in the case of kinematic motion, how position versus time derivatives may be taken of it. Similarly in sport, how derivatives may be taken if we view an analog between a parent equation and a sport motion. We see that it's simply a mode of derivatives and the fact that there was ever a segregation in the practitioners who govern yeah. the process is complete nonsense. Absolute despite, nonsense yeah. despite the fact that there's, you know, Presumably hundreds of thousands of people working as physical population well, coaches. Well, that, that's where I was going with my with my comment there. So, like, to be the best 
physical preparation coach. I know that. I know that that title shouldn't even exist. But it, what, what, what you become to realize is that you need to know science, or you need to know biology, and then biology is underpinned by chemistry, and chemistry is underpinned by physics, and then physics is underpinned by maths. And then you realize that, that underpins everything. So, like, then you realize, shit, like, I, I should be not only the physical preparation coach, but I also should be uh, in the realm of the physiotherapist, the nutritionist, the psychologist, the sports coach, because these are all underpinned by these uh, fundamental sciences. And then, so, Robbie, I, I can see now, we're, one way or another, we're going to have to get you a copy of the book because we're a few podcasts deep in here now, and m- much of what you're conjecturing and re- referencing regarding the work of others is in the book. It's all in the well, book. Well, I, I will say, too, I will say, too, that when I was at Altus, I did get to read the first the introduction of your book, and I was just like, yes, 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 this makes, this, this is, if I was to write a book, it wouldn't be quite in the same wording as yours because I'm not that I'm not that uh, well. My grammar is off, and there'll be lots more spelling mistakes in my book, and a lot more swearing. But uh, it, it, it would the, the, the underlying message will definitely ring true. But James, listen, uh, what are we on now? An hour. We start 15 minutes in. Minus an hour and eight minutes. That's perfect for this month. Um, as always, my friends, it's an absolute pleasure and honor to share the airways with you. Uh, as, as I always say, uh, I'm always left with more questions than answers usually after a conversation. But I always love these conversations because they leave me buzzing because it's just like, you know, good, deep uh, intellectual conversation gets you thinking. You know, you feel, in one way you feel smarter, but I also feel dumber after it too. I'm like, man, I'm so dumb compared to him. I was like, but I feel like, I've, I've, you know, I've also got a little bit smarter too. But uh, thanks so much again for our, our conversation today. Obviously, stay online and, and we'll wrap up offline. But uh, just before we leave, so uh, just plug your website again, all your books. Uh, by the way, actually, a question I did get from someone was, in terms of your work, and this was someone who was a physical preparation coach, they were like, where should I start with James's work? So they were like, what books, which one should I start with? Is there any articles or videos that he would recommend? As uh, Is there like some sort of sequential order they think they should, that they, they want to know from you? So... Just plug your website and then your products and maybe that question from from the listeners. Thanks for having me on again, Robbie. The website is globalsportconcepts.net. And and uh, and that's a membership. There's a membership site there too, isn't there? Just just touch on that. So part of the site is is what I've termed the conclave, which offers the discussion platform, and that's where all of my – presentations are posted so they're only viewable by the members and there's almost 90 90 of those that, that have been posted to date so there's a there's a nominal either a monthly fee or you can save a little more with the, a yearly sum and you instantly get access to almost 90 presentations sorry just to see there is a yearly one now i thought it was only monthly so there is a yearly subscription i much prefer to sign up for the year and one go yeah, I, com- I, I completely reformatted everything a number of months ago. I don't know if it was last year. It's a, it's a different website now. It's a oh, different... I, I don't, I'm aware of that. I'm aware of that. I, I didn't even yep. know with the new one that I thought it was still monthly. But uh, that's great, yeah, because it is yep. it's cheap. Like it's, a, it's, a, it's a very reasonable fee. As to answering the question of that person, I, the best that I could probably offer is the governing dynamics of coaching because it represents the most current understanding and knowledge that I have in, in terms of how sport coaching may realize its highest form relative to mitigating that difference between what is already known 
or rather what is already knowable yet what has yet to be known mm. in the coaching profession and it's due to its comprehensive nature it, it, it covers everything great stuff well uh, I just want to say to you the applied sprint training manual was fucking unbelievable I love that book I appreciate it the it, to, to give you an idea the you know I, I wrote one on military special operations selection on applied sprint training and th- those simply are a they represent a fraction of what's contained in the governing dynamics the, the governing dynamics covers covers everything great stuff great stuff James thanks a million and for everyone listening guys we'll have James on again next month with a new topic but for now and until then everyone if you can share out the podcast reviews and you know all that stuff that would be very much uh, welcomed but uh, for now I'll talk to everyone soon. Stay well, uh, or be well, and stay strong.